here's the thing. Ever wonder why aspiring authors spend so much time trying to crack the code about how to get published? That's because no one who's in the daily grind like me has put all the pieces together in one place. It's Carly Waters here, and as your senior literary agent on the podcast with 15 years of experience in publishing, selling books, and teaching the business of publishing, I'm here to give you the clarity that will turn this hobby into a career. Inside my course, The Author's Publishing Playbook, we have monthly live Q&A sessions to cover your specific issues, but for the rest, there are over 40 video lessons that equal 10 hours of learning with professionally edited transcripts. The course will solve all your writerly problems, except write your book for you. That's on you. My course is a masterclass designed to teach writers how to prepare, pitch, publish, and promote their book in today's competitive publishing landscape. It's for career-driven writers, aspiring and published, who want to understand how to succeed in the business of books. There are over 20 worksheets, downloads, and plug-and-play templates for editing, querying, and marketing. You get lifetime access for the entire six-module course as soon as you purchase. As new content's added, you have access to that as well. Don't forget, there's a mobile app on top of computer access you can learn on the go. Get started today to gain the career you've only dreamed about. And you guys get a discount. So at checkout, carlywaters.com course, use code POD15. That's code POD15 when you check out for 15% off. That's carlywaters.com course, use code POD15. That's code POD15 when you check out for 15% off. See you inside the course. Hi, everyone. This is Cece. If you're a fan of books with hooks, then you've probably heard me use the term interiority. I often catch myself saying things like, these pages need more interiority, or the interiority here needs work. And that's because interiority is a super important element of storytelling. It's what makes books unique. But as it turns out, a lot of you have questions about what exactly is interiority and how to properly weave it into stories, which is why I'm teaching my popular writing interiority class in a new two-day format. We'll meet on Thursday, June 6 at 8 p.m. via Zoom to cover all things interiority, including the difference between interiority and emotions, how interiority is different from telling, how to leverage interiority into plot points, how to strike a balance between interiority and mystery, and more. And then we'll meet again for a live cozy Q&A session on Monday, June 10th, also at 8 p.m. via Zoom, in which you'll have the opportunity to turn your camera on if you choose. If you're interested, check out the link in my bio on Instagram, and I hope to see you there. Hi there, and welcome to my show, The Shift No One Tells You About Writing. I'm your host, Bianca Murray. Hello, everyone, and Happy New Year. For those of you who listen to the podcast episodes as they come out, it's now January 2021. We're all obviously hoping for a way better year this year than what we had last year. In January, most people sit down, they take stock and they come up with their resolutions for the year ahead. I'm not a big resolutions person, but I am someone who firmly believes in committing to something that I'm passionate about and following through on that passion. And something that frustrates me terribly when I'm chatting with my writing students or those that I coach along their writing journey is how often writing gets sidelined for creative of people. And this isn't often something that they do on purpose. It's not something that they consciously do. It's just that life has a way of encroaching 
doubts have a way of encroaching, that awful critical voice in our brain has a way of stilling the pen or stilling our fingers on the keyboard as it were. And so that's something that I'm going to be discussing in today's episode. It's just going to be me, nobody else. Uh, I hope I can keep you entertained and give you enough nuggets of wisdom. So let's look at the kind of things that stop writers from writing. And here I'm talking especially about emerging writers, because once you have sold a novel, once you have a deadline or some kind of contractual obligation with your publisher, obviously you have no choice but to put your bum in the chair and to write and to deliver to those deadlines. But what happens if you have decided that writing is something that you feel passionately about? It's something that you would really like to do. You have an idea for a novel or for a book of short stories or for a memoir, whatever the case may be is. And this is something you'd like to work on, but with no major deadline without anyone cracking the whip. How do you commit to completing this project and how do you commit to sticking with your writing journey? So there are a whole bunch of things that when I speak to emerging writers that come out as being issues in terms of why writers don't finish that novel they've always wanted to write. The most important thing upfront is guarding your time. Because for most of us, writing is something that we have to find time to do. There are very, very few writers in the world who are able to support themselves and their families financially purely on writing. Most writers have to teach, they do coaching, they write articles or essays or, or various different things to try and support the thing that they love the most, which is sitting down to write novels. And if that's the case, if we aren't all the Stephen Kings of the world, if we can't all sit down from nine to five and spend our entire day writing, then how are we able to guard this time, to carve out this time for ourselves and to commit to it and not allow anything else in our lives to encroach upon it. And this time and again comes down to not just ourselves, but the people in our lives understanding how important this thing is that we do because it's so easy for friends and family members to look at us sitting in our little corner as we scribble away and say well essentially what you're doing is sitting there making shit up you are sitting having imaginary conversations with these imaginary people in your head and you know so and so needs to be picked up from school or this needs to be done or these errands need to be run and so it's so simple for people to look at this time that we're making for ourselves and to say it's not a priority, it's not important, there are way more important things that need to be done. And I will be generalizing here, but I know that this happens with women way more than it happens with men, but our commitments to other things in our lives are important, of course. You know, we have full-time jobs, We, some of us have children, some of us have all kinds of responsibilities, but you have a responsibility to yourself to create this outlet for your creativity. I firmly believe that writers are born writers. There's something in them that compels them to write, that compels them to talk with their imaginary friends. And I feel like it's as important as carving out time for exercising or running errands, whatever the case may be is. You know, for many of us, writing is the only expression of creativity that we have. If you're a lawyer or if you're an accountant or if you work for a bank or whatever it is that you do in your real life, it's not often that you're able to exercise this creative side of your brain. 
brain. And so it's our pressure valve for creative people. We need to be creative. As stress and all kinds of demands in our lives add up, we need to release that pressure valve of creativity. And I feel like that when we don't, it actually makes us less happy people, which has an impact on those that we live with and that we're around. There's nothing more crotchety than a writer who isn't writing and who desperately wants to write. So I'm challenging you to think about writing as you would bathroom breaks. Yep, toilet breaks. At no point in your day do you go, well, I'm not going to run to the bathroom now because I have too many errands or I need to buy groceries or I need to attend this meeting. Yes, you may, you know, hold your bladder to a point where it's very, very uncomfortable, but at some point you are going to have to go to the bathroom. And I need you to start seeing your writing as this thing that you absolutely have to do. It's a non negotiable. It's an essential part of your life. And so you need to sit down and sometimes you need to do this in conjunction with the people in your life, whether it's a spouse or your partner, children, whatever the case may be is, if it's people you can negotiate with, then negotiate with them and explain to them that the hour of your day in which you write needs to be the sacred time in which no one's bothering you, in which no one is tapping on your shoulder, asking what's for dinner, whatever the case may be is, and that unless, you know, there's a huge emergency everybody respects this time. Now, when this time is going to be is entirely up to you and up to your schedule. I know writers, somebody like Karma Brown, who's a phenomenal novelist. She's actually got a brilliant book that has just come out called The 4% Fix, How One Hour Can Change Your Life. And Karma Brown is one of these people that is a member of what's called the 5am club. These are many writers who wake up super early in the morning before their families get up, before things in the day start happening and they sit down and they begin working then. A good friend of mine who's in my writing group, she also believes in work before work. So before she starts her job, she'll get to her workplace early and carve out kind of an hour for herself in which she sits down and writes then. For all of you, it may be something different. I don't know about you, I cannot be creative at 5am. I'm blurry eyed, I want my coffee. I am not able to just sit down and start writing these amazing words while my brain is still booting. So it may be your lunch hour. It may be at three o'clock in the afternoon, depending on your biorhythms. It may be at 10 o'clock at night, but set a time for your writing and guard that time fiercely. Now, some of you are saying, well, an hour isn't really going to cut it, but I actually think that it will. Because if you think of the average novel, the average novel is 80,000 words. Now, a page, a double-spaced page is about 300 words. So if you only write one page a day, it'll take you 266 days in which to write the first draft of your novel. And if you just carve out an hour for yourself every day, I don't see how you can't be writing a page of 300 words in an hour. Look, they may not be the best words ever. You may have to come back to them and cut them out and you'll definitely have to finesse them down the line. But by just keeping an hour for yourself every day in which to write, you can get a novel written in about nine months time. And I think this is why things like NaNoWriMo are so successful because people feel guilty the whole year long about carving out time for themselves. And so when November comes, they commit to writing, say, 50,000 words. But then you have to be writing sort of 2,000 words a day, 1,000 words 
words a day to keep up that kind of pacing. And if you can just write 300 words a day in that hour you've set aside for yourself, you'll be doing really, really well. But again, it's about speaking to people in your life and making sure that everybody's on board with this thing that you need to do. All right. So that's the first thing. The next thing that stops us from writing and creating is perfectionism. And I see this with my students time and again, and it's so incredibly frustrating because trying to aim for perfection really is the perfect way of killing creativity. And I don't know why we do this to ourselves time and again, because think about a puppy that gets born. You don't expect a puppy to come out being fully house trained. You don't expect it to know how to shake its paw or to roll over or to sit. You don't expect any of these things from this puppy. You expect these are things that are going to happen over time and that you will be able to train the puppy and that you will spend a lot of time with the puppy. And over time, you will see these rewarding behaviors start to come about. So if we don't expect perfectionism from other people in our lives, from most things in our lives, why is it that we expect it from ourselves when we are writing? My favorite time of any novel writing process is before I begin writing the first word. Because while a story's in my head, while these characters are in my head, while they're busy simmering and incubating, the story feels perfect. The possibilities are endless. The way the story can be is just amazing. And then as soon as I write the first word, I come crashing down to earth because having an idea and being able to translate this brilliant idea are two totally different things. And so the idea of perfection crashes and burns as soon as you begin writing that first word. But instead of letting this dissuade us from writing, instead of letting us discourage us, we should actually be embracing this pursuit of non-perfection. Your first draft of a novel should be an exercise in brainstorming. It should be this kind of mental and creative playground in which you as the writer are sitting there like a kid in a sandbox and you are just coming up with all different kinds of things. You are using your imagination. You are picturing characters doing crazy kind of things. You're seeing if this works, if that works, etc, etc. It should not be this time in which you are boxing yourself in and in which you are allowing that inner critic to come out and peer over your shoulder while you're writing saying this is awful this is terrible this is so bad you should have rewritten it this way why are you even writing this who's going to read this when we aim for perfection what comes with perfection is somebody who is assessing the quality of the work and who's finding it wanting and guys here's the thing about writing there are going to be so many times in your life that you will have these critics you know if you get published your work goes out into the world and critics are going to evaluate it. They are going to write reviews about your book. Your readers are going to write reviews about your book. So if your work goes out into the world to be critiqued, why not take the time in which you are creating the story and make it the sacred time in which no criticism is allowed? It's just pure fun. It's pure brainstorming. It's pure kid in a sandbox just having fun with things and seeing where it goes. But we don't do this. And when I give my students assignments, I'll give them a two-page assignment or a three-page assignment to do in a week. And just before the deadline, I'll hear from tons of them saying, this is so bad. I've written it and now it's absolutely terrible. And what I'm actually want to do is I want to tear this up and I want to I start again. And I, I want to do something else. And perhaps you say to them, okay, we'll do something else. And then a week later, it's the 
same thing. This thing is absolutely terrible. It's so awful. Uh, Let me come up with another idea. And when I read the work, it actually isn't bad. It's a rough first draft, certainly. It's going to need work. It's going to need polishing. It's going to need revision. Things need to be taken out. Things need to be added. But it isn't awful. It's a first draft. And first drafts are not perfect. So say to that inner critic to take a seat, muzzle that inner critic, tell them they are not allowed in the writing room with you. I even challenge you that when you write a first draft to write it all down without once stopping and going back and deleting things you've written and then rewriting that. Because as soon as you do that, you're allowing the editor and the critic to come into the room with you and they have no place in the first draft room. Anne Lamott says to give yourself permission to write shitty first drafts and I'm a firm believer in this and I kind of believe in shitty second drafts and shitty third drafts as well. The magic happens once the whole entire first draft is written, once you know what it is you're trying to say, once you know these characters, once you kind of have a handle on things and then you're going to come back and then you're going to start polishing. And can I tell you that even after 10 years of polishing, you will never ever reach perfectionism. You absolutely won't. Maybe in that moment you feel the novel's perfect I can tell you a month later, you'll come back to it and you'll read your work aloud to a group of people and you'll suddenly go, oh, hell, why did I use this word? This is crap. I actually should have done this. Uh, And something you deem perfect is certainly not something that your readers will deem perfect. So if there's no consensus on perfection, why are we spending so much time trying to write something that is perfect? We just registered my youngest kid for kindergarten. I cannot believe it. One of the tricky things about my kids being in French immersion school and not having French as a language myself is I'm honestly worried about how I'm going to assist with homework as they get bigger. They're young now, but I see it coming. We are honestly so lucky, though, to live in a city that's bilingual and we have bilingual friends and francophone friends. So I know it's going to be easy for our kids to pick it up. Me, on the other hand, I am worried about me. I grew up somewhere where French class was not taken seriously, and now I have to make up the difference. And that's where Rosetta Stone comes in. As the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app, it really immerses you in the language you want to learn. Rosetta Stone teaches through immersion, which is a proven way to learn a language. Instead of memorizing and drilling vocabulary words, you learn by matching audio from native speakers to visuals, reading stories, participating in dialogues, and other practical language skills to fast track your ability to communicate fluently. There are no English translations in the product. You're honestly getting trained to listen, speak, read, write, and think in your new language, which is what everybody wants. Rosetta Stone users especially love the speech recognition feature. As you practice speaking, Rosetta Stone uses advanced voice recognition technology to match your audio, the audio from native speakers, and then give you feedback on how well you're pronunciating the words so you can really hone those pronunciations. It offers 25 languages from Spanish, French, Italian, German, Chinese, Korean, Japanese, even Dutch, Arabic, and Polish. This is the best language program because they have been an expert in the language learning field for 30 years and used by millions. Thousands of companies and government organizations use Rosetta Stone to support language training online. Of all the apps, Rosetta Stone uses the best speech recognition technology, so it compares your sound waves to those of a native speaker for better feedback to improve. They have a patented speech recognition engine called True Accent, which is built into the program. As you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. The other language learning apps use speech recognition to detect what you said, but Rosetta Stone tells you how well you said it compared to native speakers. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Think about the cost of a one-month language course. Think about the cost of one-hour private tutoring sessions. With Rosetta Stone, you enjoy lifetime membership and accessibility on desktop or app. 
We have a special offer for you guys. That's 50% off. That's a lifetime access to 25 language courses on Rosetta Stone for 50% off. This is a steal. Do not put off learning that language. There is no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the shit no one tells you about writing listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That We want you guys to go visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. Are you looking for beta readers, some of whom might potentially become writing group members down the line? Are you wanting to be matched up with those writing in a similar genre or time zone so they can critique your work as you critique theirs at the same time? Your manuscript doesn't have to be complete to sign up for this 3,000 word evaluation. This particular matchup will be open to registrations from now until the 2nd of June, with the matchup emails going out on the 3rd of June. For more information and to register, go to biancamaray.com, look for the beta reader matchup page, and please spread the word. The more writers we have signed up, the better the matches will be. Something else I hear a lot that stops a lot of students from writing is they will say, nobody wants to hear what I have to say. I honestly don't believe anybody will want to read this thing that I am writing. Or they'll say things like, I read a book by so-and-so and this book was so amazing and it was so, it made me so despondent because I will never be the kind of writer that so-and-so is. Well, duh, of course not. You are never going to be whoever this writer is in your life and we all have them. We all have our favorite writers and we read their work and we think their work is absolutely amazing. You are never going to be that writer because you are not that person. So allow good work to energize you and to enthuse you and to encourage you and to make you kind of up your game, but don't allow it to become debilitating and to make you go, well, I will never be able to write like this person because you are going to write like you. Whoever you are, whoever your voice is, whatever your talents are as a writer, this is what you are going to bring to writing. And again, you know, students will say every story has been told. There's nothing that I can say that's original. And that's true. Stories have been told and retold time and again. There really is no original story left, but there is your take on it. There is your voice. There is your experience. There is the angle at which you are coming at something. And just because so many books have been written doesn't mean that you don't have a right to put your book into the fray and that you don't have the right to use your voice to express whatever it is that you want to say. And how can you say that there's no one who wants to read your work? There are people out there who like reading dinosaur porn. You know, we've had this discussion before with Rebecca Spees on one of my previous podcasts in which we spoke about how there is this whole market for dinosaur erotica out there. And there's a market for werewolf erotica and alien erotica. If there's a market for these kinds of things, I promise you that there is somebody out there who wants to hear your story, who is going to read it and go, I am so glad that this person wrote the story because this resonates with me. And when you are busy writing, think of that person. You almost have an obligation to that person to write the story that you are writing so that one day they can open the book and go, ah, yes, this is the voice I've been waiting for. This is the story that I've been waiting for. And we as writers have all had that. We've all at some point in our lives picked up some book and been blown away by it because it felt like whoever this author was, was speaking directly to us. So think of that reader. Think of that reader out there who is waiting to pick up your book and go, ah, yes, I feel like this person sees me and they hear me and they are speaking to me. So don't allow these kinds of things to stand in the way of your 
your writing or your creativity either. Another thing that stops a lot of writers from actually sitting down and writing is a kind of procrastination that they bring to their work in progress. In that some writers I know say, well, I can't start writing until I've done all of this research and I need to read all of these books and I need to watch all of these documentaries and I need to read all the books that other people have written about the topic that are similar so that I can get a handle on this. And yes, there are certain stories in which research is incredibly important. If you're writing historical fiction, for example, you need to research the time period in which you are writing about. You need to get a handle on that. But let me tell you from experience that research can become this never-ending activity in which you will just finish one book and go, oh wait, now I actually need to read this other book. And then you'll read that other book. And then you'll realize how little you know. And then you'll watch five documentaries. And then you will find 10 books of writers who've written about the same thing. And then you go, oh my God, they've all written about the same thing. So why should I actually be writing about this? And so there's a point at which diminishing returns happen. Instead of the research bolstering the work that you're wanting to write, it actually detracts from it. And so you spend months and months researching and actually no time with your bum in the chair writing. All kinds of procrastination that we do as writers are a form of fear. It's fear to sit down and start writing. And fear can come from so many different places. It could be fear of failing. It's scary. Writing is a scary business. It is sitting down and making yourself incredibly vulnerable. It's tapping into things that maybe you've never wanted to actually deal with, things that you have never discussed with other people. It's perhaps shame or whatever you've experienced in your life. And so it is scary. And if you aren't scared when you sit down to write, if you don't feel this fear when you are writing, you have no business writing because writing means making ourselves vulnerable. It means tapping into dark places. It means holding ourselves up to account and kind of auditing our souls. And so it should be a terrifying thing to do. And so you should be scared when you sit down to write. But again, that fear should not be so debilitating that it stops you from writing completely. As when it comes to fear of failure, I think Samuel Beckett said it best. He said, no matter, try again, fail again, fail better. I can't think of any writer I know that hasn't failed at some point along their writing journey. Whether it was writing short stories and submitting it to journals that they then got rejected by, whether it was failing to get an agent immediately, whether it was failing to get get a publisher immediately. Most writers succeeded on like their third or fourth novels, which means that they failed a lot of times along the way. And think of some of your favorite authors. If they had given up the first time that they had failed, these books wouldn't be out in the world. You wouldn't have read these books. So something that Stephen King said, there's a quote by him, and he said, by the time I was 14 and shaving twice a week, whether I needed to or not, the nail in my wall would no longer support the weight of rejection slips impaled upon it. I replaced the nail with the spike and went on writing. That is so incredibly powerful. And he says to use failure as fuel. Be motivated by your failures. You know, look at all of these rejection slips and look at all these people that have turned you down and be like, I'm going to prove you wrong. You either resign or you persevere. You either give up or you carry on. And if you can use failure as fuel, as a way to motivate yourself to keep going, that's an amazing outlook and that's an amazing way of doing it. And if it worked for Stephen King, it can work for you too. So beware of procrastination. Beware of time wasters. And when you find yourself 
wasting time, not putting your bum in the chair and listening to a million writing podcasts rather than writing or reading a million books on writing rather than writing. Say to yourself, where does this procrastination come from? Where does this fear come from? Is it a fear of failure? Is it a fear of getting started? What is it that I'm afraid of and what is the absolute worst that can happen? In my mind, the worst thing that could absolutely happen is that you give up and you stop writing. That is the worst thing that can happen. But if you keep writing and you write something shitty and it's not that good and you have to come back to it and rewrite it and rewrite it and rewrite it again, how is that the worst thing that can happen? You're busy polishing your work. You're getting it out there. You're doing something that you feel passionate about as opposed to sitting back and being so afraid and being so debilitated by this fear that you give up writing. That to me is the absolute worst case scenario. Another thing that I hear often is I'm not talented enough. And this one drives me crazy because the people who say this are generally extremely talented people who are judging their own worth and are finding themselves wanting. And again, this is something that comes with perseverance. It is bum in the chair, writing something, coming back to it down the line, improving on it, improving on it, improving on it. I feel like Pure talent is not going to get you published. I know tons of very talented writers who have never published work because they haven't put it out there, because they haven't allowed themselves to be vulnerable and to potentially fail. And so for me, perseverance, working hard at something, coming back to it time and time and time again is way more important than pure raw talent. So along the way, you will meet other writers in writing groups, in classes that you do, in workshops, who in your mind are more talented than you are, but who may never go on to publish because they allow that inner critic to take over. So here is my challenge to you for your writing journey this year. One, carve out time for yourself and fiercely guard it. Make sure that whether you say you are going to sit down and write five days a week, barring some kind of emergency, you sit down and you write those five days a week. Yes, doing research is important. Yes, reading other writers' work is very, very important. I firmly believe you can't be a writer without first being a reader. Yes, reading books on writing is important. Listening to podcasts about publishing, that's all important. But if those things take up more time than the time that you are taking to write, then I would say that you are procrastinating out of some sense of fear of the work, just sit down, bum in chair, get those words on the page. That is something I want to challenge you to do this year. Number two, muzzle that inner critic. Tell them there's no space for them while you're sitting down to write. Tell them to get the hell out of the drafting room and that you will make some time for them down the line when you come back and you do some editing. And that's when their input will be quite valuable. Until then, no thanks, you don't want anything to do with it. Three, let your failures fuel you. Don't let them be so debilitating that it stops you on your writing journey. I don't know about you, but I love nothing better when I hear from some writer who got rejected hundreds of times and suddenly this book that nobody wanted is the book that is on the New York Times bestseller list. Maybe you will be that person. Maybe you will be the person speaking to someone on a podcast telling us all about how you almost gave up and how nobody seemed to want your work and how dejected you were and how you went on to succeed. Those are the kind of stories I love. And then prioritize perseverance over talent. Talent is not something that we can measure. What one person considers to be a very talented writer, another person is going to say, well, I don't think they're that talented. I don't really like their work. It's such a subjective thing, talent. And the quality of work is very, very subjective as well. But something that isn't subjective is perseverance. You can measure the amount of time you spend writing. You can measure the, the amount of time you spend 
editing your work and polishing your work and working on your craft. These are things that are measurable and they're objective. And these are things that I believe in rather than this random assessment of talent, who is talented, who is not talented. You put five writers in a room and you put a hundred readers reading their work. And I promise you that every single reader will categorize those writers completely differently on a scale of one to 10, according to the level of talent that they believe these writers have. So forget this. I'm not talented enough. Are you committed enough? Do you want this enough? Writing can be lonely. It can be a lonely path and it can be, there's a lot of ups and downs. There can be times that you feel quite, you know, ready to give up and you feel dejected, etc. I've said before the value of writing groups, the value of finding your people. And that is something I will always say. Find people who are in the same boat as you, who are going through the same experiences you are to boost one another. Something else that I would recommend you go out and get and that you read is Colin McCann's Letters to a Young Writer. It's some practical and philosophical advice. Each letter is a page, two pages, three pages long. It's something you can pick up before bed and just read a few pages. Or maybe when you sit down in the morning for your hours writing time, you can begin by reading one of the letters. It's all very practical advice. It's incredibly inspiring. And this is from a phenomenal writer. So uh, maybe gift that to yourself or get a copy from your local library. I've been wading in and out of it. I dip my toe into it every so often when I especially need that boost and I've found it to be absolutely delightful. There's a few times on the podcast that we will focus on the downsides of writing. You know, how difficult it is to find an agent, how difficult it is to find an editor or or to sell your book to a publisher, how difficult it is to get good reviews and how difficult it is for debut authors to find their readers. Down the line, there are a lot of these obstacles. But what I want us to focus on today and what I want us to focus on at the beginning of this year is that we write because we love it. We write because we're passionate about it, because there is something in our soul, there is some fire that yearns to express ourselves, to put words on the page, and to say things in a way that perhaps other people haven't said them before, or to observe things in a way that other people haven't observed them before. And if this is why we write, then regardless of what happens down the line, regardless of whether we get published, regardless of whatever happens, we have found the joy and the passion of writing and of expressing ourselves and doing this thing that brings us immense, immense joy. So in between all the talk of the publishing industry and and all these highs and lows, hang on to that. Hang on to why do you write? Do you even have a choice in writing? Could you even stop writing even if you wanted to, whether it's scribbling in a journal or scribbling in a notebook? How much richer is your life for this thing that we do, in which we speak to our imaginary friends, in which we use however many letters of the alphabet to create this alchemy and this magic and words that come out of nothing, that come out of these thoughts in our head that we put on the page. I don't know about you, but I think it's one of the most wonderful, wonderful endeavors. I can't imagine my life without it. And I don't think you could either. Otherwise, you wouldn't be listening to this podcast in the first place. As we go into this year, I wish you much joy on your writing journey. I hope that the hour that you carve out for yourself is the best hour of your day. I hope that the time you spend making shit up is some of the happiest parts of your month and I hope that you never lose sight of why you do it. From next week we'll be back to the usual format of the podcast in which I'll be interviewing guests. We've got some amazing guests coming up. Stephen Rowley, author of Lily and the Octopus, the editor and the Gunkle which will be coming out soon. Byron Lane,
Payne, who wrote A Star is Bored, which was absolutely phenomenal. We have Julia Claiborne Johnson, the author of the best-selling Be Frank With Me, a finalist for the American Booksellers Association Best Debut Novel Award. Her new novel is out now, Better Luck Next Time, and it's getting rave reviews and has been chosen for a lot of brilliant book clubs. Coming up soon as well is Claire Lombardo, the author of The Most Fun We Ever Had. And those of you who's listened to the podcast on and off will know that I'm a huge fan of Claire's and of the novel and I'm totally looking forward to chatting with her and sharing with you what she has to say. I look forward to another year together in which we all come together to discuss the craft and the business of writing in which we all learn as we go along and become better writers along the way. And that's it for today's episode. If you have any questions about writing or publishing, please email me at theshitaboutwriting at gmail.com and I'll do my best to get them answered for you. I hope you'll join us for next week's show. In the meantime, keep at it. Remember, it just takes one yes. Here's the thing. Ever wonder why aspiring authors spend so much time trying to crack the code about how to get published? That's because no one who's in the daily grind like me has put all the pieces together in one place. It's Carly Waters here, and as your senior literary agent on the podcast with 15 years of experience in publishing, selling books, and teaching the business of publishing, I'm here to give you the clarity that will turn this hobby into a career. Inside my course, The Author's Publishing Playbook, we have monthly live Q&A sessions to cover your specific issues, but for the rest, there are over 40 video lessons that equal 10 hours of learning with professionally edited transcripts. The course will solve all your writerly problems, except write your book for you. That's on you. My course is a masterclass designed to teach writers how to prepare, pitch, publish, and promote their book in today's competitive publishing landscape. It's for career-driven writers, aspiring and published, who want to understand how to succeed in the business of books. There are over 20 worksheets, downloads, and plug-and-play templates for editing, querying, and marketing. You get lifetime access for the entire six-module course as soon as you purchase. As new content gets added, you have access to that as well. Don't forget, there's a mobile app on top of computer access you can learn on the go. Get started today to gain the career you've only dreamed about. And you guys get a discount. So at checkout, carlywaters.com course, use code POD15. That's code POD15 when you check out for 15% off. That's carlywaters.com course, use code POD15. That's code POD15 when you check out for 15% off. See you inside the course. Hi, everyone. This is Cece. If you're a fan of books with hooks, then you've probably heard me use the term interiority. I often catch myself saying things like, these pages need more interiority, or the interiority here needs work. And that's because interiority is a super important element of storytelling. It's what makes books unique. But as it turns out, a lot of you have questions about what exactly is interiority and how to properly weave it into stories, which is why I'm teaching my popular writing interiority class in a new two-day format. We'll meet on Thursday, June 6 at 8 p.m. via Zoom to cover all things interiority, including the difference between interiority and emotions, how interiority is different from telling, how to leverage interiority into plot points, how to strike a balance between interiority and mystery, and more. And then we'll meet again for a live cozy Q&A session on Monday, June 10th, also at 8 p.m. via Zoom, in which you'll have the opportunity to turn your camera on if you choose. If you're interested, check out the link in my bio on Instagram, and I hope to see you there. Here's the thing. 
Ever wonder why aspiring authors spend so much time trying to crack the code about how to get published? That's because no one who's in the daily grind like me has put all the pieces together in one place. It's Carly Waters here, and as your senior literary agent on the podcast with 15 years of experience in publishing, selling books, and teaching the business of publishing, I'm here to give you the clarity that will turn this hobby into a career. Inside my course, The Author's Publishing Playbook, we have monthly live Q&A sessions to cover your specific issues, but for the rest, there are over 40 video lessons that equal 10 hours of learning with professionally edited transcripts. The course will solve all your writerly problems, except write your book for you. That's on you. My course is a masterclass designed to teach writers how to prepare, pitch, publish, and promote their book in today's competitive publishing landscape. It's for career-driven writers, aspiring and published, who want to understand how to succeed in the business of books. There are over 20 worksheets, downloads, and plug-and-play templates for editing, querying, and marketing. You get lifetime access for the entire six-module course as soon as you purchase. As new content gets added, you have access to that as well. Don't forget, there's a mobile app on top of computer access you can learn on the go. Get started today to gain the career you've only dreamed about. And you guys get a discount. So at checkout, carlywaters.com course, use code POD15. That's code POD15 when you check out for 15% off. That's carlywaters.com slash course. Use code POD15. That's code POD15 when you check out for 15% off. See you inside the course. Hi, everyone. This is Cece. If you're a fan of books with hooks, then you've probably heard me use the term interiority. I often catch myself saying things like, these pages need more interiority, or the interiority here needs work. And that's because interiority is a super important element of storytelling. It's what makes books unique. But as it turns out, a lot of you have questions about what exactly is interiority and how to properly weave it into stories, which is why I'm teaching my popular writing interiority class in a new two-day format. We'll meet on Thursday, June 6 at 8 p.m. via Zoom to cover all things interiority, including the difference between interiority and emotions, how interiority is different from telling, how to leverage interiority into plot points, how to strike a balance between interiority and mystery, and more. And then we'll meet again for a live cozy Q&A session on Monday, June 10th, also at 8 p.m. via Zoom, in which you'll have the opportunity to turn your camera on if you choose. If you're interested, check out the link in my bio on Instagram, and I hope to see you there.